Hello and welcome to So How Do You, the podcast that's your little black book for interiors. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and I'm going to be speaking to two guests in every episode to give you both design, inspiration and practical know-how. Before we get stuck into this episode, take a moment, close your eyes, envisage your perfect home. Is it a playful patchwork of prints and colours or is it a wash of simplicity and serenity? Well, regardless of what's just popped into your head, you'll get to the end of this episode knowing how to do maximalism without the chaos, yes please, and how to do minimalism without the emptiness. I am very excited because I've got two incredible guests for this episode. I'm going to be chatting with maximalist enthusiast and interior designer Meta Coleman all the way from Utah and interior and furniture designer Mimi Shidende who lives and breathes minimalism. First up is Meta. Before we get into the podcast this week, I wanted to tell you about my wonderful sponsor, Wix, who you're going to hear more about over the series. I feel like they are the perfect fit, offering ideas and advice when making improvements to your home, from helping to save energy, something I know we are all thinking about, to making small changes that make a big difference. Paint is an ideal place to start for a quick and easy transformation. Refreshing those tired, scuffed walls will reinvigorate your home while adding colour and bringing a new level of style. Or maybe if you're feeling a bit adventurous, then you could tile your fireplace for a really cost-effective way to transform a room and create a focal point. Now, if that's sounding like a bit too much, start small. Build up your skills. You can really achieve great results with small tweaks, such as changing things like door handles. You don't need to swap out the kitchen sink, but those bathroom taps might be in need of replacing. Follow along as we cover all this and more this series. For more information on how to get started, visit wix.co.uk. I think the word maximalism has a lot of negative connotations. It's maybe perceived as a more is more trend that can come across as chaotic. But actually, my next guest meta is, to me a true maximalist of the highest authority because she's so thoughtful about textures, colours, prints and layering them all together which makes for a really charming, cosy yet chic result. Meta Coleman is an interior designer who lives in Utah and I believe that she can make any minimalist enjoy maximalist design. I mean, just have a look at her Instagram if you haven't already. She really is the master when it comes to creating wonderfully mismatching matching interiors. Meta is going to be sharing her words of wisdom on her process and approach to layering, whether there is such a thing as a contemporary clash and the best brands and designers to invest in if you're going full throttle on your interiors. Meta, how would you describe your interior style? You know, that's a loaded question that's really tricky sometimes, but I think it's usually I like to be really thoughtful um, very personalized to each client that I work with. I hate to, I don't like to use the word eclectic, but it definitely, I pull from a lot of different eras. I'm a huge lover of nature. So I do like to bring nature into my interiors. Also, I love the Wiener Werkstätte, that like era of Austrian design and Joseph Frank, he was in that design movement and then he moved to Sweden and I love his work. So I have a huge design crush on him. As you can tell, I use use a lot of his designs in my in my work. So, I mean, I have a lot of Northern European influence. My mom is German and she's from Northern Germany. 
So um, there's a lot of that influence, which there's a lot of similarities between Germany and Scandinavia and the Dutch design. They like, there are overlapping. I like, I like it all though. I really, <laughs> I like, I don't want to say, I mean, I don't want to be put into a corner and I don't want to be put into like a, even when you said, oh, you're maximalist. I'm like, am I? I never even thought about that. You know, like I just, I don't know. Cause I would love the challenge of doing minimalism too. You know, yeah, and I am actually. Oh, amazing! I think I feel like for me, you are maximalism because you've got such a great use of color, and you're always quite adventurous with your color palette. And that, for me, it isn't about loads of prints and being as crazy as possible. It's about having a great use of color, and you do that really well. So has that always been your interior style or has it evolved over the years? You know, I've always been a lover of color and thank you very much. That was very nice. Um, I've always been a lover of color, but I think I was in my twenties and thirties. I always utilized it, but I think I was a lot more uh, cautious with it. And then I feel like being in my forties, I've been a lot more bold with color. I, I've always used color, but I used it more as as accent pieces. And and now I think I'm much more, I feel more confident with color. And I feel like there's so much you can say with color. But I also think that you can do neutrals really well, too. It's just all in, in, in what you feel comfortable with, really. How would you define maximalism? I mean, I've given you what I kind of feel like it is. What, 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 what does it mean to you? So yeah, I mean, I think maximalism to me, is there are no real limitations. I think in general, in the design movement, there are a lot of rules that we break now, which I think is great. I think you do need to know and understand the rules in order to break them because you know if that rule will work or not, if it will work to break it, I guess. But um, so maximalism, you know, I've always been drawn to the artist homes that you see in World of Interiors and books and magazines. And I love house museums and to me, I think it's just, um, it's layering, uh, textures, colors, patterns. Sometimes I think people get overwhelmed by it and they think that it's just so much pattern, but I think you're right. It's more about, you know, choosing things that you feel comfortable with. And it is, there is a rhyme to the reason. I think there is balance and scale and proportion that you have to consider. I think in Britain, we associate being a maximalist with having lots of clutter because us Brits do have by default that cottagey kind of style. I mean, I've got things that I've had for years that I just can't let go of. And then that accumulates to clutter. And then that's kind of what we think of maximalism. But I feel like you can do it without it being really chaotic. And I, I think that you do that really well. So how how do you style a place up using color, using texture, using layers, but without it feeling overwhelming? I also feel like I too am what I call a hoarder, <laughs> borderline <laughs> hoarder. I mean, you can say it collector, but you could also, it could be bordering on hoarding, but I'm the same way. You know, I love to collect things. I love to travel and I always... And I do think that's really important when you bring, when you are designing for a client that you bring in, all the elements need to be something that they, are, that appeal to them. It doesn't necessarily have to appeal to me. It needs to appeal to them. So that's why art is so personal. Artifacts are so personal. And I think how you can maybe um, 
make it not feel so cluttered is if you delineate certain areas where you have collections, you know, say maybe like there's a table where you put all of the books and the vases and the, and all those little artifacts and tchotchkes, you know, I like to call them <laughs> for lack of a better word. And you put those together in a grouping and then maybe you have an area where your eye can rest. Maybe it's like over by the piano or whatever, where, although with me, I tend to just you know, layer upon layer. But I think you can give yourself moments where you have it all grouped together. And then it can also be something where you can have a little more calming uh, elements in your space or vignettes. Would a rule of maximalism say be to have good storage so that you can have out what you want to have out, but then hide away the things that you don't want everyone to see day to day? Yeah. And I think that, um, with everything should, you know, this is something I talk with my clients too. Everything should have a space. I'm actually very efficient with space. I like to be, I, I think this is where the German in me comes in really strong is I want to be incredibly efficient with space. I don't want to waste any space, you know? Um, and so I think everything should have a place. And if everything has a place and you know where it goes, it won't get cluttered as much. You know, it will be, oh, I know, okay, I've got to put the pencils or whatever in this, you know, all of this goes in this space. And I know that's where it goes. Like I have a lot of samples and memos, you know, but I have everything organized by brand and different things like that. Um, It does get cluttered though, because when you are creative, you tend to want to pull things out and, and you need that, you know, you also need to have a creative mess. So I think it's allowing yourself to have creative mess, but then also knowing where things go at the end of the day to put it and making it practical, you know, making your space practical and work for you. Yeah, no, totally. I feel like I'm always trying to balance the living practically, living functionally, but then also having the things around me that bring me joy, which is cluttered mess sometimes. But yeah, I feel like having a bit more order is is never a bad thing. How do you use colors and patterns together then to create a complementary clash? And is there such a thing as a complementary clash? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the energy and the synergy that you can create with a combination of colors. I think there's nothing more exciting when you you discover, you know, I mean, I think everything's already, so many things have already been done, but when you discover something that is new to you and it feels so right, what I generally tell people when I'm consulting is to start with three colors. And I think it's the same thing with, I like to work in odd numbers. So start with three colors, start with three patterns. I usually like to make, so let's say you do, um, you know, you've got your three colors, you've got your primary color, which is the main color that will take precedent over the entire space. And then you've got your secondary color, which usually is a complement. It's a good thing to have it be a complement to that color. So if you're using green, let's say, um, but it doesn't have to be bright green, Christmas green. It could be, uh, you know, more of a sage green. And then maybe you go a little bit more punchy on the red and it's a little bit more of a vibrant red. And then that third color can be something that's either complementary to the red or complementary to the green. Or maybe it's a secondary tone of that complementary color. So it could be maybe a different variance of a green. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be three primary colors. Color theory really does come into place when you're layering textures. And it's the same thing with patterns. I think you can start with a really bold you know, a pattern that you're drawn to that you like, maybe it's on the walls, maybe it's on a sofa, and then you work for a secondary pattern that's maybe more geometric, or maybe it's a smaller floral. 
And then you do that third pattern, which also complements the secondary and the first pattern. So it really is just, and whatever patterns you're mixing, make sure that one or two of those colors, they have the same similar colors or similar tones of color in that pattern. So they can kind of all work together. So there is a method to the madness. If I like sit down and think about it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you're so synonymous with using Joseph Frank fabrics. Where did this love story begin? You know, it happened. Well, I know it really is a love story. He's my celebrity crush. You know, he's been dead for many years, but (laughs) (laughs) you know how people, (laughs) you know how people have like the celebrity crush that's like, well, you and McGregor too. Okay. But, um, (laughs) but you know how they have celebrity crushes and mine are always designers. So I, you know, years ago when Domino came out, um, which was such a fantastic magazine, like in 2000, early 2000s, uh, I saw a feature with Joseph Frank, one of his fabrics, and I instantly was drawn to it. And I, I looked it up and I, you know, they had it featured there. And I, and I just thought, who is this designer? Because what I love about him is he was bold. He used a lot of color and he used these beautiful florals from nature, but his his designs are timeless. I mean, his designs are over a hundred years old, some of them, you know. I mean, they're coming on a hundred years. One of his first designs was designed in 1924. And his sofa that I have is 1934, it was designed. So it's so timeless, yet it feels also very modern. And it's bold. And I like, I mean, you could tell I'm wearing red lipstick. I like bold color. But, you know, so I think that's what attracts me. And if I'm going to choose, most of the time, you know, I know a lot of designers out there and I love a lot of designs out there, but I generally tend to gravitate to him because I think he's so bold and they're not that overly feminine, which I also don't think I'm super chintzy, girly in a way, you know, so I think that's why I also... I'm drawn to him. Where do you think the statement lies in maximalism then? So I feel like in your living room, the statement piece would be that Joseph Frank sofa. Sorry to sound like a stalker, but I just... No, that's fine. Looked at it many <laughs> times. So yeah, where, where does the statement lie in maximalism? I think it depends on what the space is. And I think it depends on the story that you want to tell. And it also depends on if there's a pattern or a or a color that you're really, really drawn to, then I think that is what you need to start with. You know, so with my sofa, which was a love affair from many years, I mean, I've loved that sofa for so many years and it actually was very happy accident how I ended up getting it. And I didn't even know that you could have a, basically a bed for a sofa, you know, <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. But um, so, I mean, yeah, definitely that was like the anchor piece but I think it really depends on the space, the story you want to tell, the functionality of the space, you know, so, and maybe it's a wallpaper that you love. So maybe you start with that wallpaper that you really love and that becomes the anchor piece. And then you build from there, but always gather samples. You know, I tell people always gather samples, look at it in a space, you know, carry it around the room, look at it. I paint on big poster boards and then I bring it, move it around different times of the day. It always looks different at different people's homes. Depends on where the light is, you know. So those are all things to consider when you're designing. So just because it looks good on a two-dimensional magazine, it doesn't necessarily mean it will transfer over to your space. So really gathering samples is such a good... And then you'll be able to see the scale. So you can see the scale of that pattern mixed with the other 
patterns that you have. I feel like with magazines as well, when you do see homes on these beautiful websites, you have to remember that that room has been styled a bit like how a fashion shoot has done. And that the dress that you really love in the magazine might not look like that on you. And I think that is the same with a home. And there's so many nuances in that in that image. So even from how a, the wood has been carved or the stain of the wood or the shape of the rug. And to somebody who understands that, you can you can see all those nuances. But if you haven't got that eye, you think that maybe you could interpret it in, in, in some way, which sometimes I do. And then it just goes really wrong. Yeah. And I think you just, if you love an image or you love certain images, what you just want to mainly do is not copy it exactly entirely. You just want to capture the essence of it. And what I usually have all my clients do is I have them I do a really detailed questionnaire where I have them fill out questions about how they live and how they, and I have them dissect imagery. So I have them, because I think a lot of times people just aren't exposed to enough to know really what they like and what they don't like. So, and sometimes knowing what you don't like is just as informative as knowing what you like. And a lot of people, a lot of my clients know what they don't like, but they don't really know what they like. And I think it's just exposing yourself continually exposing yourself and then dissecting it and say, well, why do I like this? Is it because of this yellow sofa or is it the way the light is streaming in here? You know, like, what is it that I like so much about this? And there is, you know, there are certain things that you notice over time that you just gravitate to. I feel like that's a really good exercise that you can do with yourself. If you are designing your own house or designing a room, then getting those kind of those reference images and sitting down with yourself and asking yourself why you really like them and 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 what it is you like and, and then don't like. And that can kind of inform the decision-making process afterwards. Because actually taking that time to do that with yourself is really important. Yeah. I mean, I really try to stay away from, I mean, we're all part of the zeitgeist of we're all exposed and see, you know, what other other people are doing. But I really think it's important to also look to history and see what what has been done in history and take inspiration from that as well as seeing, you know, we all see what happens in the trends and, and, but when you're doing something that's so expensive and so you want it to be timeless, I think it's really important to put more thought into it. Look to history, also look to the era of your home, you know, and respect that era in how you design. So um, like I'm, designing an arts and crafts home. And we're really trying to respect what the architect designed, how they designed it. And not, you don't have to, I don't think you have to be completely like museum accurate, but I think it's just having a little bit of respect for what what came before. Yeah. How would you keep maximalism timeless then? We've talked a bit about trends. What tips can you give us on making sure that it does transcend the trends? You know, I think uh, you can start in layers. You know, I think um, you don't have to do it all at once, too. That's one thing to remember. It doesn't all, and it, most of the beautiful homes that you see, they happen over time. They happen, and it's also you pick things that you love, that you really are drawn to. I know what I like. I, I've been doing it long enough that I really know what I like. And so I pick based on what I like, what I'm drawn to. And not necessarily like, oh, so-and-so in this article said these are the trends to avoid. Maybe you like that and you want to keep it. And maybe something can be, you know, like checkerboard, you know, it's very trendy. But it's also fun. And why not, you know, be a little bit playful with it? 
it's also been around for a long time, you know? (laughs) So I think that when it comes to like more, maybe more expensive purchases, it's, it's smart to just look to history and look, that's why I like historic wallpapers and look to history for that. But when it comes to trends and stuff like that, you can be a little more fun and playful, maybe with some of the ceramics or the little accessories, you know, but also just taking what you really, what you really like and don't worry so much about, cause this is for you. You know, it doesn't really matter what other people think. It's mainly what, what you think and how you, another thing I would say is like, I ask clients to define how do they feel in the space? Cause I think that's a really important thing. Like, how do you want to feel in your space and colors and patterns all help you feel a certain way. Like blue is actually um, a very creative color. So it makes you feel more creative when you're around blue. You know, there's certain colors that like red is very vibrant and energetic. So, you know, you, all those things help you to tell the story about who you are. You know, that's really all you're doing. That's what's so fun about it. You know, is you're telling your story in your home, but it's in a practical space. You know, you're being your own artist. Yeah. There's so many different styles of furniture and interiors when it comes to really stripping things back, especially like Danish design, for instance. Are there any kind of styles that represent a more maximalist way of living? Any designers or names that you can kind of tell us about? I think of Hollywood Regency, you know, that comes to mind. But then again, I don't like to get pigeonholed into that because I think I love what Billy Cotton did where he used a Milo Bachman sofa, you know, an enormous, very modern, and then he put a a floral chintz on the sofa. You know, so that to me is very maximalist because you've got this kind of more traditional floral mixed with very clean lines. So it kind of feels like you're doing something a little outside of the box, you know? And that's, I think that is almost more maximalist than sticking with like all one note, like maybe it's all Rococo or Baroque style or Hollywood Regency, because that can feel almost very much too much of the same. But doing something that's a little bit like really clean lines mixed with some very chintzy traditional fabric can be very fun and unexpected. And in my opinion, maximalist, because you're, I don't know, I don't, maximalism is a tricky word because I think there's, it can have negative connotations to it, you know, Um, but I think it's just doing what you love, really. No, I I wholeheartedly agree with you because I feel like this is why I wanted to do this episode and especially with you because I do feel like it's thought of as clutter, as chaos, as eclectic and actually it can be quite chic and really elegant maximalism if you've got you know like we're talking about billy cotton who is an amazing interior designer who lives in the states he's taken a really beautifully simple design sofa and then just thrown this chintzy fabric all over it and it's the upholstery that brings out the fun and the creativity but the simple lines of the of the sofa are really elegant and chic and timeless, but that's still, as you said, maximalism. Yeah. And I think funnily enough, speaking of Billy Cotton, that pattern is just one pattern, which that makes your, because uh, a lot of times people think, oh, if I incorporate so many patterns, I'll feel so overwhelmed. And maybe, maybe that will be for you overwhelming. But what's interesting, what I find, uh, rooms can actually absorb a lot of color and pattern more than we think. Because you look at samples and you look at it flat on a, in a small space. But when you look at it in a room, it just 
it absorbs it all. And when you have one pattern, sometimes your eye just tends to go just to that one pattern and it can feel very jarring. But when you layer with patterns and you layer with colors and you layer with the tones and the textures and the scale, they all kind of blend together and you can feel more settled, actually. It's a funny thing that happens. You feel more relaxed. If you're in, and, and this is honestly totally personal preference, but if you're in a room that's very white, clean lined, you may feel a little bit more anxious to sit on the sofa. But if it's a sofa that has layers and it's got, you know, pillows that are different patterns or, you know, where there's a blanket laying on it, you feel more comfortable and at ease to sit down. So really, a lot of times maximalism can make you feel more at ease, but it depends on the person. It really does. And how do you kind of create those layers of color and maximalism in your house with maybe smaller items so say you've already got your sofa like what could we kind of add in for a bit of fun and yeah a bit of fun and flavor I guess well yeah I mean you can add it in the pillows you can add it in your window treatments I like to add always stripes in a, in a space I think that's a, it's a nice way to add some geometric but it's more timeless so with when it comes to window treatments I tend to like to go little bit more timeless with that you know a gingham or a stripe uh it could be in your ceramics you know you could do some hand painted beautiful ceramics it could be in some of the art pieces that you mix in with it you know and honestly really it's just thinking about the scale and a juxtaposition and the relationship that everything has together and one thing i always tell clients is that you don't want everything to be a showstopper Meaning you, you want to like everything, but everything doesn't need to be the most amazing piece in the room because if everything is, then it will all feel very overwhelming. But if you pick some items that you have one piece that's really the showstopper and then the other pieces are maybe a little more simplified or a little bit more minimalistic, those will really help tell the story of that one piece and will help make it feel more like a showstopper, make it feel more special. Because if everything is, it can get very much like way overwhelming. But if you pair things that are that that work together as far as, you know, the the, the scale or you've got, you know, like say you've got something mid-century, you know, what I like about mid-century is that it's it's kind of a blank canvas, you know, and then maybe you put in a Rococo or like a Baroque style mirror with that mid-century piece, you know, or maybe it's a very like with, you know, we talked about Milo. Bachman. Maybe it's a really floral, fun, colorful pattern mixed in with those clean, simple lines. But everything doesn't have to be a showstopper. And do you kind of feel that there are no rules when it comes to mixing styles, as you just talked about? Are you happy to kind of throw in the Hollywood Regency with the minimalism, with the maybe something Art Deco, with something mid-century. Is it is there no rules with that? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I don't think there really are any rules. I think it's just personal preference and what feels right. I know that sounds kind of funny, but it really is if it feels right in the space, if it works in the space. And sometimes you have to play around and move things around a little bit to see if that even works. But I don't think there, I think that's the beauty of this day and age is that there are a lot of rules that we're breaking and it is really fun to see modern mixed with traditional. Um, I think it makes it feel a little more unexpected and fresh and modern. Uh, whereas, whereas when, you know, you have it all of the same era, you know, you may feel more like you're in a museum. 
The one rule though, I do, I am very particular about lighting. I think lighting needs to be fit the purpose of where, where you are in the space. So um, I like lower lighting. I like sconces. I also like more um, round diffused lighting if it's overhead because I think, so I tend to like more mid-century modern lighting than, you know, maybe chandelier or so. But then again, I also like to break that rule. But I think it's just nice to have like softer diffused light because it, it feels nicer on you. It, it feels warm. You've got that glow uh, from the light. So I think it depends. Um, yeah. So like with modern, with lighting, I really do like to go a little bit more. Right. So the only rule of maximalism is lighting. Firstly, wow, that makes it sound so easy, doesn't it? And secondly, we've heard so many guests say how important lighting is. So do go and have a listen to our lighting episode in season one if you haven't already. Now, for those who lean into a more low-key design style, this is for you. I have always wanted to be a bit more of a minimalist. Trips to Copenhagen have been a huge inspiration, but I just find it really hard to let go of those knickknacks. Minimalism is a style that, even though it's paired back, does require a lot of thought about silhouettes and shapes. This is something my next guest, Mimi Shadende, knows all about as an artist and designer who works across multi-disciplines of furniture and interiors. She approaches design with an artistic aesthetic and architectural discipline. I am really excited for you to hear this chat with Mimi because not only does she approach design through an art lens, but she also goes against every other guest's interior philosophy of practicality and function first and aesthetic second. She always chooses the most aesthetically pleasing piece for her space. You're going to be hearing Mimi share her know-how on why layering is still really important in minimalism, why sometimes less isn't always more, and how we can avoid creating cold and empty spaces. So what do you feel makes a room minimal? Personally, I think it's important to stress that minimalism doesn't necessarily mean making a room cold or soulless. You know, I believe minimalism for me is all about feeling calm and connected and feeling like a sense of serenity within the space. And it's just, it just comes down to materials for me. You know, I rely on materials to create certain moods, um, certain experiences. So it's all about materials. I mean, you do timeless design so well. Is there a period in interior design that you feel has inspired your approach? Gosh, I, 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 they all do. I mean, all the, all the eras um, have inspired my approach. I've picked something along on the way from each of them. But if there was an era, I'd definitely say it would be, it would be the modernist area. You see that a lot in my work. So whether it's taking inspiration from, you know, Mies van der Rohe, Oscar Neymar, you know, the greats. Um, I definitely use their inspo or their ethos a lot in my work. I mean, like you said, it's it's about minimalism doesn't mean boring. So how can we achieve the balance between something that is really timeless and chic, minimal at the same time, but still injecting our personality into that space? Again, it, it, for me, it goes back to materials. Um, I use materials almost as flavors, really. And it's all about layering materials so creating different types of atmospheres in a room so you know I could go for a raw stone and you know bring it back to life with you know a timber or a fabric or you know a textile or whatever 
Um, but I also think, again, it's, it really just goes down to personal style and personal taste. There's no right or wrong, really. Yeah, lots of interior designers talk about the method of, of layering. And I feel like when you're talking about maximalism, I can visualize that. I kind of understand that layering on top of each other. So how do you do that with minimalism? Um, I think with maximalism, maximalism is exactly the same in terms of when you see, you know, the patterns and the fabrics and all of them. It's the same ideology applies to when you're doing, when you're creating a minimalist space. You know, I could use six different types of stones or different types of travertines or, you know, um, timbers, layer them together in a very minimalist way and you would not know unless you look really closely then you realize oh my goodness this is like you know seven different types of travertine but all layered together so it's exactly the same but just in a different way I guess and what materials do you use I mean I love travertine I think it's such a beautiful material so what are the materials that you would associate with minimalism that you use you know every day at work timber so wood for sure I think that's my go-to material because I'm even though it, it, it's a very warm material and you could use it in so many different ways. You can mix it with so many different materials. So wood for sure is my first one. Um, travertine that I, I adore, um, limestone, different types of marbles. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid to use anything really. I mean, throw it at me and I'll find a way to use it. So. <laughs> and then like, what about the textiles for things like that? Because I feel like the kind of trend for me that came from minimalism was like the Kardashian house with all of that bootle. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's probably <laughs> the house that people will go, oh, I understand it's like stripped back and they've just got this kind of yeah. beautiful fabric. So what are the textures in terms of more tactile materials for layering could we use and apply to our home that already, you know, that we've already got? You know, I tend not to, I, I'm not a big fabric person I I'm more you know leather um new box suede that's kind of me more but if I were to use fabrics you know I do love the boucles and linens and very natural kind of raw cottons and I am a big fan of like embossed you know fabrics as well how would we use suede and leather in our home in terms of a, a, a living environment rather than I mean, I could never have a suede sofa. I'm just thinking about the kids. Um, but yeah, how would how would we incorporate those kind of materials in our home? Because they feel quite scared. Like putting a suede in my house feels really scary. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, on, on a piece of furniture. It could be a wall feature or it could be on an accent chair or it could be uh, Ottoman. You know, there are definitely, I mean, people kind of get scared by the idea of using nubuck on a sofa, but it doesn't necessarily need to be on a sofa. It could be, incorporated into the space and you know in different ways so for example a project we're doing now in Kuwait we're doing this you know huge kind of wall feature kind of cabinet thing and it's all kind of you know um, braided suede you know and that's just another way to just introduce warmth into the room but using leather. And do you think that you need to be a minimalist person to have this sort of interior design in your home and is it about functionality and practicality? in the way that you live? Um, I think you just have to be a person. I mean, it, it just it just comes down to who you are and like you said, the way that you live. Um, you know, minimalism is the notion of reducing something to its necessary elements, but you know, who is deciding what is necessary and who is deciding what is too much? 
it's completely subjective and personal. I just wish that I was more minimal. I wish that I could just clear <laughs> away the clutter, but I've got, you know, stupid things like matchboxes, which I've had for 10 <laughs> years that I really don't need and I should get rid of. But are there any tips that you can kind of give someone that's holding on to that unnecessary stuff in their home? I mean, the, the, my top tip will definitely be because I'm all about, I'm exactly like you, I buy everything. I have stuff from 20 years ago that I just cannot throw away, but it's all about just, you know, creating a space for them. And what I try to do in a lot of the places that I create is try to create concealed storage solutions or living solutions. So there's nothing wrong with being a you know junk collector like me, but as long as it's kept away and kept away in a very smart way. So, you know, I could give you an example of a project we're doing in, in London at the moment. We have this still kind of geometric fireplace, but then it looks like an art piece when it's all closed, but when it's all open, then you kind of see all this junk and the collectibles and things that they've kept over the years. So it's just about, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, I'm a hoarder, continue. And I love collecting stuff, but it's just about just creating storage solutions that people don't get to see, you know, it's just you. And how, how do you use art in your projects that are focused on minimalism? Gosh, I don't really think, you know, I saw this. I don't. I don't really think art is min- can be considered minimal, um, just because again, it's it's so subjective, right? And um, for me, and um, because I do often tend to go for a neutral palette, I gravitate towards art that's more colorful. Um, you know, people will say, you know, that my art, my taste in art is quite weird and quite, you know, gothic and quite strange. But again, it's just what makes you feel good. So there's not a minimalist way to to use art. It's it's just it's, it's just a way to lift up the space and um, create more character and to create more depth. Mm, yeah, I, I sp- when I've seen kind of more like really minimal rooms and it kind of has been a blanket of white, having that one focal piece of art has kind of given the room a bit of personality. For sure, for sure. I think I, I think again. I mean, art is the best way to kind of know to just know who you are really because like it's so subjective it's so personal and it adds your touch of character to whatever to the the space so how do you approach a brief where someone's asked you for kind of that minimal timeless chic in like interiors what what's the process we we start off well I start off and my team starts off with it's all about the client and understanding who they are their lifestyle then I guess you know crafting this design world and a final design piece around them. So the client comes first and, you know, their lifestyle and their needs and who they are. Yeah, it's so funny. I think everyone that we have spoke to who is an interior designer for the podcast has always said that the conversation starts with, you know, the functionality and the practicality over the design. The design plays a part of of it but it's not about right what how do you want it to look it's more like how does it how do you want this room to make you feel or how do you want to use this room and it's just so interesting isn't it that I think we like maybe from Instagram and seeing pictures in magazines that we think about the aesthetic but actually when you're an interior designer working with a client it's kind of not the aesthetic doesn't come first oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, <laughs> I shouldn't say this again. No, for me, it's I, because I am from an art background. I approach everything from an art artistic eye, so I don't. It's very naughty for me to say, but I never ever think about function first. I just think about how 
it should look just because I love things I just love beautiful things then after we then start thinking okay cool you know this is this is what we have you know this is this is the canvas and this is the finished piece now how can we start making it functional I know that sounds crazy and it goes against everything I've ever studied in my life but that's just how I do things no but I love this this is great and this is maybe the approach to minimalism that it is about how it looks and how the aesthetic of the design rather than is it functional because I mean I really love that you've said that that is like gold for me. I mean, what are the massive no-nos for minimalism that you kind of um, put into play with work? Again, um, for me, Laura, there's just, there's just, there isn't a right or wrong. You know, I think minimalism, the space is your space. Um, if you want to just, you know, my, my, my partner, for example, he will be happy with just a sofa and nothing else. I mean, that's a no-no for me. But um, it just, it just come it just it just goes down to you know personal taste, personal preference. Um, there's no right or wrongs, honestly. But um, I, I love the fact that you're coming um from design um with an art background. So how from a, from your art brain do you get creative? Is it with lines and shapes? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you should see me on a day to day. Like I every single place I go to, I'm like taking taking pictures. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And like, I'll see something like, oh my God, that's really nice. And my, my brain is just on the go 24 seven. So I would see a shape and I would, you know, store it or archive it. Then I'll come back to it like a year later. And I'll then, you know, it'll then maybe it will relate to the kind of projects I'm working on at that moment in time. And I'll just, we'll distort it, play around with it. It's, it's a really fun, crazy process, but um, everything, I mean, I, I take inspiration from everything, every single thing. And you kind of like put these, like all of the references that you find in, in, and you try and put them in kind of a, an abstract architectural way into furniture when designing for a minimalism room. Definitely. I mean, um, when I'm, when, when I am designing, it's funny because my brain, I feel like I have two different brains from when I'm designing furniture and when I'm designing interiors. I think when I'm designing furniture, there's definitely more freedom because I don't ever approach <laughs> function it's more formal and designing furniture but even though my pieces I will put it up there my pieces are extremely comfortable but I do start off with the form and the the, the, the beauty of, of the actual piece because my pieces are you know for me um akin to sculpture I do approach furniture design as sculpting like you know but um interiors is is different because you don't you have less freedom to I guess maneuver with with shapes yeah, no, absolutely. Um, for anyone who is renovating and got kind of quite a, a simple living room, let's go with, how, what kind of tips and tricks could you give them for creating minimalism design? Um, don't be afraid to explore materials. That's, for me, that's the number one tip because you'd be surprised just how much, how spoilt for choice we are when it comes to materials and, and, and finishes and introduce different types of materials, introduce different types of stones, introduce different types of timbers, um, you know, create smart storage solutions because what you want to do is, for me, I love the idea of living in a gallery, but obviously that's not functional. So I love that. So when I say smart uh, storage solutions is, you know, when you're not in the space or when you're hosting or when you have friends over, you can have the whole gallery-esque sort of living because everything is concealed and hidden then when it's just you the kids the partner the dog you can be your true self and put all your bits and barbers out and you know just live in a functional space so it's just finding the balance between that kind of gallery style living and having that functional 
home. I also love that you're not advocating getting rid of everything. You're just saying, get the storage. <laughs> yes, get the storage. Don't get rid of anything. Just get the storage. <laughs> get the storage. <laughs> Layers, materials and storage seem to be the core elements to minimalism then. By the sound of it, if you pay attention to the finer details within the furniture and the flooring that you're using, minimalism with soul should happen naturally. Fingers crossed. Thank you to Wix for sponsoring So How Do You. Don't forget, small changes make a big difference. So visit wix.co.uk for all your refurb needs. Next week's episode is all about concrete because let's be honest, I have absolutely no idea when it comes to concrete at all. So this one is very new to me. And did you know that you can get a self-heating concrete bath? Me neither. For more interiors inspo, make sure that you do check out our Instagram page, which is at So How Do You Podcast. And we've got all of our episodes from series two and from series one if you haven't yet listened. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Laura Jackson, and that's how you do minimalism and maximalism. 